Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffield. By golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness. And Glenn Quarterman. Wow, we. A proud Victorian parked permanently in the West who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me. Together they are Duff Duff and Quarters. Quarters. You know who. And this is your favourite footy podcast. It's unbelievable. Yes, hello everybody. Tuesday, so it is time for the first edition this week of the Duff and Quarters podcast. We are brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch, better your bet. Download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. Glenn Quartermain, it's been a big couple of days in WA. Um, some of, well, two of our most admirable footballers announcing their retirements. Josh Kennedy this morning. Duff, no surprise the timing of it, given that it's Adelaide. It's what we forecast. Uh, he gets to say g'day, good g'day. He gets to say goodbye and thank you to his home crowd, which g'day is great. G'day from WA. <laughs> um, wonderful career. Um, just has earned every right to call it when he sees it. Uh, some people say he should have played the Derby. Nah. You call it when you see it, Josh. You've earned that right. So he's doing that on Sunday against Adelaide, where I would think there are better the pretty good chance to get the four points. Well, you'd like to think they get up, wouldn't you? If ever you're going to get up for a player, you're getting up on Sunday. So to me, it's 292 games, 715 goals. That's spread across two clubs. Obviously, he played a handful of games, kicked a handful of goals for, for Carlton before he came. Um, to me... The signature of Josh Kennedy is unconditional. And the thing that made him truly great is that he knew his job and he did his job. Mick Malthouse has this saying um, in the AFL, sometimes you're a windscreen, sometimes you're a bug. In other words, sometimes you're the bloke that does the hurting and sometimes you get hurt. Josh Kennedy went whether he was the windscreen or the bug. He went because he knew he had to provide a target. When he provided the target, if he should have taken the mark, he took the mark. And if he should have kicked the goal, he kicked the goal. Um, he did all those things, though, and he did all those things so often over such a long period of time that that made him great. And then there were a few other things that made him extraordinary. You know, like I go back to the the 2020 set play, Nick Natanui to Josh Kennedy against Geelong when the game was on the line. Mm. Um, it was just an act of genius. And when you think about it, you know, that's not supposed to involve a 196 centimetre forward. But Nick Natanui knew when they designated Josh as the hit-to guy, they knew he wouldn't fumble, wouldn't fall over, wouldn't miss. And Geelong wouldn't expect it. So it was brilliant. And uh, he's been a a wonderful, wonderful player. Um, I think he will sit in the top five West Coast players of all time. And I think he'll sit maybe even higher than that with the, the five most popular and respected West Coast players of all time. Yeah, you look through his record, drafted number four, 2005 to Carlton. Two Coleman's, three All-Australians, seven times leading goal kicker. Um, kicked 10 goals three times in games. Uh, thankfully, 
2018 flag for Josh Kennedy. But, you know, in a funny way, all he achieved in his career, all the greatness. For me, the true measure of a champion, for me, I'll look at his last season in many ways, when he probably shouldn't have been out there, but still went out to war for his team on one leg, basically. And uh, for me, that franks the champion in him. He would have been anyway, but I just think, just the preparedness to get out there and fly the flag one last time. So he won't get to 40 goals this year but unless he does something extraordinary um, on the weekend. Um, he's on 29 goals at the moment. In the last 12 seasons, he's the last 12 completed seasons, he's gotten to 40 goals 10 times. The yeah. only two times he didn't were in 2012 when he only played nine games, he was injured, and in 2020 when the games were shorter and the season was shorter. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, um, again, another saying, another football truism, it's not how well you play, it's how often you play well. Mm. And in a, in a position that challenge your, challenges your consistency because you get the best opponent, because you're, you, know, you, you depend on a, a certain amount of supply, uh, Josh Kennedy's consistency has been remarkable. We were walking in here, Duff, and someone asked us, you know, of all Geraldton's football products, who's the greatest? Is it Harry Taylor? Is it Josh Kennedy? And I think we both agreed. One's a defender, one defends. The other's a forward. They create. And I think him, that's nothing against Harry Taylor. No. Wonderful player. Yeah. Uh, very decorated player. But I think Josh uh, just – I heard an interview with him about five years ago where he was talking about how he developed his craft. And he said he modelled his running patterns on Nick Brewalt. He looked at the way Nick ran, how he gut ran, ran to here, ran to here, ran everywhere, and he moulded himself on it. It was really fascinating. And I tell you, any young forward who's learning his craft, uh, who hasn't played under Josh Kennedy, because you can only think of the wisdom he's passed on to players like um, Jake Waterman, Oscar Allen, these types of players. Have a listen to that interview um, and, um, you know, learn something from it, because this is one of the greats. Yeah, no, he's a terrific player and a, and a good person. Um there's a um, a couple that live down the road from my wife and I, um, the Bowers, uh, Marnie and Peter. They're um, they're related in some way to Drew Banfield. I'm not sure how. Mad West Coast supporters, and their favourite is Josh Kennedy. You know, he's their favourite. He's Everybody's their favourite is Josh Kennedy. Yeah, he's just. They have great players. They have admired players. They have sort of um, pop star, rock star players like Nick Natanui and before him Ben Cousins. Josh is the universally admired, respected, and deeply loved player at West Coast, I think, of this generation. And so champion's an interesting word, isn't it? You can use champion however you want to, depending on how much you want to dilute the significance of the term. If you take the highest standard of champion, which basically means there's one player from each generation is that club's champion, West Coast's champion of this generation is Josh Kennedy. Yep. And the other measure I'd put on this is that Josh Kennedy was traded for a dual Brownlow medalist and probably the best player to ever pull on a West Coast jumper, Chris Judd, and West Coast won on the trade. That's saying something. That's a good measure, Hmm. isn't it? They won on the trade. And they didn't just win. They've been in front for, I reckon, four years and getting further in front with each season he plays and with each goal he kicks. So... Well done to him. Um, we look forward to seeing him play on the weekend. And um, and good luck, Josh. I hope your send-off um, does justice to what has been a wonderful career. I'm sure it will. Yesterday, yesterday morning, same news, different club, 
David Bundy, 37 years of age. Same quality of character. 371 games. And climbing. And climbing. Uh, just a... Uh, you know, the measure of him was the, the comment yesterday about, did you think about chasing 400? And he said, that's an individual stat. Yeah. If you know me, you know I'm not after that. And that was not theatre. That was not staged. That was... That's, it's honest. Yeah, that's him, and he's an on, been a better than an honest footballer. He's a terrific, beautiful footballer um, at the, his best. The, the no worst, one better with the footy in hand. So the worst banner in history. Oh yeah, is Frio's two fifty game banner. I don't know who did that, but whoever did it, send David an apology. What did it say? Two fifty solid games. Now, actually, I'm going to defend them here. I've been told since because I've mocked that banner a few times. I've been told he asked, they asked him what he wanted on it, and he said, "That's what I want on it." Yeah. Apparently, that's the story. So right. they probably they should have used, overruled him. I don't think I agree with that. He was, I mean, so all Oz in 2015, Frio captain for a year in 2016, Doig medal in 2010. Um, from Seymour in Victoria, so in the Goulburn Valley, just near Puckapunyal, the great army camp there. That, It'd be chilly there in winter, wouldn't it? It is very chilly there, but beautiful country, slice of country, Victoria. Some really great drives through that area. Uh, clearly Seymour's finest product. I can't think of... I'm sure there are other great sportsmen and women who've come from there, but uh, he's done them proud. And uh, you look at him. It's interesting. You look at the West Coast pantheon of greats. You can... Everyone has their different views on who's number one or who's in the top five. But at, at Frio, I think everyone universally puts... Pav, Fife, and Mundy in the top three. Would you agree with that? I think Freo's top five for me. Top uh, th- that's the top three. Yep. Um, yeah, he's probably ahead of Luke McFarlane and Aaron Sandler. Yeah, I've got them it? in the top five as well. So, yeah. you know, I'd ha- I have it Pav, Fife, and Mundy. Um, other people might have it in a different um, order, but it doesn't really matter. I think Mundy, let's just hope with three rounds of the home and away to go. And some finals. Let's just hope there's at least a winning final to see him off. Yeah, and and Freo, you know what, Freo, you need to step up and take a swing. Um, getting off the the track of Monday um, for a minute because they haven't taken a swing for three weeks now. So you need to step up and take a swing, and you need to do it this week against a credible opponent before the run into finals. It's you know like I was very disappointed in them on Friday night. Very disappointed in the fact that they didn't... Uh, Melbourne came out and hit them between the eyes with Melbourne's best footy, and Fremantle were very passive and very timid with the ball in their hands. Not around the contest after the first 20 minutes. After the first 20 minutes, they tried to stand their ground in the contest. Didn't break even, but they were better. But with the ball in their hands, they did not challenge Melbourne at any stage. Is that their greatest concern, or is it the fact that they're, they're forward 50, given that they've... 39 against Melbourne, 52 against Richmond, and 65 against Sydney in I think the last three chi- weeks. I think they're chicken and egg stats quarters. Do you? In, but in that if you're moving the ball, like Fremantle is moving the ball at the moment, your forwards aren't going to kick goals. Th- yeah, because they're winning the clearances. It's just their insides, 50s are way down. Yeah, winning the clearances and the ball's going nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of handball, ring around the rosy handball. Um, no one takes the kick in back inside the corridor anymore. No one plays on. Um, you know they're very stagnant. Uh, they need to, yeah, they need to step forward and take a swing. So the good news is they're sixth, and the good news is they've got three genuine possibilities of winning games in the last two rounds. Western Bulldogs at Marvel with the roof shut, they can win that game. West Coast their home derby, 
penultimate round, they can win that. And certainly they can win in Canberra final round against GWS, the way the Giants are going at the moment. We'll talk about that a bit we'll, later. We'll get back to that. Um, just before we leave Mundy and yep. Kennedy, um, probably you wouldn't find two more. Are there two players who break the rule in West Australian footy where Fremantle doesn't like West Coast and West Coast doesn't like Fremantle. They would both cheer each other for w- sure. Would you be able to find West Coast supporters who speak in a derogatory manner about Mundy? Nope. And would you be able to find Fremantle supporters who speak in a derogatory manner about Josh Kennedy? No, and I'll raise you one. Give me an off-field controversy involving either. Apart, don't not judge the trade, either of them. Yeah, good question. Well, probably the only one that David's been involved in was one that wasn't his fault, was when the the word was that Ross Lyon wanted a do-over involving the captaincy. Well, that's not his fault. No. Yeah, so... It's caught in the middle But both of them, exemplary off-field. Yeah. Exemplary on-field. Yeah. Exactly. I I would have thought if he had have bowed out in the final round, Frio supporters, I know they would have cheered him. Yeah. And you would hope, and I'm pretty sure, the reverse would have happened to Mundy. I think so, yeah. Um, Um, Now, we have another... You'd love to have a beer with him. Wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. So I've had a, I've actually had a beer with David. David was at one of the AFL functions in the finals last year, and we were at the um, the corporate function, and so um, was able to sit down and um, have a yak to him and and just yeah enjoy. Actually, I think he was having a beer. I think I was working later, so I think I was probably on the on the tonic water. But um, uh, it was just great to talk to him in a relaxed atmosphere. You know what? I reckon I could have gotten this one twenty four hours before everyone else. David's probably almost his best mate at the club was Paul Duffield, my nephew. Yep. And pretty sure that Paul was one of the people that David spoke to before coming to the final decision and announcing it. Usually when I ring Paul at this time of year, Paul can't wait to pick up the phone and talk footy. Paul didn't return any of my phone calls (laughs) on Sunday. And then as soon as the news broke on Monday morning, Paul was on the phone to me. Now, and I reckon I could have written the uh, Josh Kennedy last night because West Coast <laughs> sent out their media release and normally it's, you know, player Jai Cully or whoever to be interviewed tomorrow at night. Today, last night's message was player. Yes. A player. I thought something's going on well, here. Well, given we wrote the Kennedy stuff that Adelaide was going to be the farewell game, was it two weeks ago? Yeah. They probably could have just... well. No, look, it's up to Josh to decide. I, I just think he's absolutely earned the right to go out in whatever terms he likes, and good on him. Good luck. We'll certainly celebrate it. We've got a fair bit of special stuff planned in the West Australian and the Sunday Times for the weekend, Duff. So, um, and tomorrow, of course, um, we will celebrate it, as we will celebrate David Mundy, hopefully a bit to go. Another retirement today. Uh, Stephen Motlop at Port Adelaide. 217 games, 14 seasons, uh, effective immediately, so there'll be no send-off. He's been around a long time, hasn't he? Really interesting stat with Steve Motlop. Five losing preliminary finals. Never made it through to a granny? Never made it through. So three with Geelong, two with Port Adelaide. So was he too young in 2011? Must have been. Yeah. Must have been. Well, they had a winning prelim and um, they won the flag, so... Uh, yeah, no, he's just just unlucky, but you know, a great career. Anyone who plays two hundred and seventeen games and at his best, he was a really handy, wasn't he? Very dangerous. Yeah, he was kind of like he always threatened to become even better than he was, and he never quite made it. There was that great moment in that showdown um, where I think Adelaide had hit the front off the back of a Mitch McGovern goal with forty seconds left, 
Um, Port Adelaide came out of the middle. There was a massive contest at centre-half forward. Ball spilled to Motlop. Motlop had only just joined Port Adelaide, I think. Kicked the goal, won the game. Um, he will probably look back on that one as, you know, absolute career highlight. <laughs> Adelaide Oval was just going off its chops mm, completely. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, that was the one where um, Kenny Hinckley went off his chops in the oh, yeah. in the coach's box with as the well. with the five or whatever five just... one yeah, yeah that's five right. one yeah they'd been copping a fair bit. I think Adelaide had, had yeah. the run of the recent showdowns and uh, uh, Kenny was letting them know they got one. But certainly two hundred games, he can retire knowing he had a uh, wonderful career. Well, mate, anyone who plays AFL has had a one very, game will do has a very good career. One game will do me, and and you've put yourself above the pack. If you've played two hundred and you've played in finals and gotten as far as playing preliminary finals, that's a um, that's a lot to be proud of. Now, West Coast Duff, um, poor second quarter, good last quarter, seven goal last quarter again lapses during a game. Jai Cully, two weeks, very lucky boy in my opinion. Well, he's very lucky that Anderson wasn't hurt. Because if Anderson's hurt, then Jai Cully isn't playing until about round four next year. So I'm, I am hoping it was either an inexperience, because he's, it's his third game against men, basically. Either that, or because if that was deliberate, intentional, I don't like that action at all. I don't like it. I don't like it when the um, player doesn't know what's coming and had the pot possibility that he could have been seriously injured there broken a jaw so uh, he'll hopefully learn from that I don't want to see that again in his game yeah so he's dodged a bullet if given that Anderson wasn't hurt and given that he's a young player and this is the first time we've seen something like this from him interesting no remonstration from the Gold Coast players probably because Anderson gets up straight away yeah and unless you were at the right angle and realized how far away from the side the elbow came you probably aren't aware of just how significant um, an action it was. That's the sort of thing, if you do it once and the player doesn't get hurt, then there's no great um, taint, if you like, on your career. If you do it a couple of times or three times... We only do it twice. Twice for me. And a player gets hurt, then it's a completely different kettle of fish. When I'd first heard that it happened, I was actually um, on radio when it happened, so I had to go back and watch the replay. And you picture the circumstances under which it might happen, and when... (laughs) I was picturing a late challenge, you know, sort of like gets mm. it a bit wrong. And then when I saw it, I went, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, no, it was yeah, <laughs> no, not good. Uh, sometimes, um, you, and I've spoken to you about this off air, Dean Solomon, when he broke Cameron Ling's jaw and everyone looked at it and it just looked horrible, absolutely horrible. Dean Solomon told um, someone I know that he said, the problem with it was, he said, all I wanted to do was bump him, but he said he was, I, was, I wasn't looking at him, I was looking the other way, and he said, he was two feet further away from me than I thought. And so I went to bump, and then my arm just followed through with the action. And he said, the next thing you know, I felt his jaw crack on the end of my elbow. And I just thought, oh, and just felt sick. Um, sometimes these things happen, it, things happen very quickly in games of footy, and players get it wrong. They do. I never liked the raised elbow, though. But you wouldn't. As, as I say, once, no injury, just learn from it, Jai, get on with it. Twice, and the second time there's an injury, you've got a problem, mate. Yeah. So um, learn from it. Now, some interesting results before we get on to GWS. It was really the comeback round, wasn't it? West Coast comeback. Hawthorne comeback against St Kilda. Richmond against Brisbane, which for me... So hang on. Yep. Let's. This is the one with implications. Yes, it, it is. What does this mean for Brisbane? I'm saying I'm drawing a line through Brisbane. I've done it. 
did it as soon as the final sign went, got a big black texter and put a line through them and said, cannot win the flag this year. Yeah. They had to win that game. They were well in front. Can't defend. Can't defend. Can't defend. And you know what? I reckon that Chris Fagan's tactic of having Darcy fought as the Medi-Sub, and he's done it a few times this year, it is nonsense. That bloke on the bench playing that role has to be a runner. Yeah. It just has to be a runner. And they looked tired, didn't they, Like They couldn't run with yeah. them. Yeah. And, they, and they lack a bit of speed anyway. Um, you know, they, their midfield, Jared Lyons is in the midfield. He compromises them a bit. Lockie Neal's a good runner, but he's a, he's a good gut runner, not an explosive player. Jared Berry, the same. You know, their runners are McCluggage, Bailey, Rainer's quite explosive. Um, so, um, Charlie Cameron... So when Bailey goes down, who's arguably their quickest player, and they replace him with a Ruckman? It, I was driving home from um, doing the TV show, The Game, and I heard that Bailey's out and Fort's the substitute and that Richmond were coming, and I thought, Richmond's winning this. No Stasevich either. Yeah, can hurt. Yeah. Coleman can play too. He's a good player. but He, he can play, but you don't play Shy Bolton off the ski rope. Sorry, mate. Shy Bolton. Just let's get a great game from Cumberland too, particularly after the previous week's efforts. Not that he wasn't great performing, performing the previous week, but missing a goal, missing the opportunity to kick a goal after the siren. But five goals, great effort, beautiful kick. Um, Shy Bolton. He Does anyone – and you look at his – um, score involvements. When he gets the pill, they score more than any other player in the comp. He's a terrific player, Shelbelt. No, that's true. But you know the other thing about Richmond? Richmond, like Collingwood, played go-ahead football, which means they get a chance to get involved in scores. And you were talking about the, um, the lack of productivity of the Fremantle forward line. Well, when you move the ball like Richmond, your forward line gets productive. Because, you know, in that last quarter, every time Richmond got the footy, you felt like they were going to score. Yeah. After halftime, Lynch and Rewald. I mean, before halftime. Yeah, exactly. Just but the ball's going in quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, the opposition is not having a chance to get set. Um, and, and your forwards get the best possible looks at it. Interest, interesting game at Adelaide Oval this week against Port. Because I tell you, I still have the Dogs as the best, side out, best team outside the eight. I still have them coming in. And I still have St Kilda not there. Carlton, really interesting. They're a bit dicey at the moment. Um, but just a just a wonderful, wonderful comeback from Richmond, really. As, as much as I've, I've sort of put a line through them, but you've got to admire that. No, that was, a, that was brave, absolute brave. All the things we know that Richmond are. And the, the other one was uh, Geelong. I looked at that and so, I thought... So the dogs kicked the first four... And then Geelong really utterly dominated the game. After yeah, after after quarter time, yeah, and utterly dominated. Being to go, Tom Stewart slots in there nicely. Pretty ominous, Paddy Dangerfield. Yeah, he was. And look, they are an ominous looking team at the moment. Right now, they're the team to beat. But if you're talking, looking at someone who can knock them off, I only have Melbourne at the moment. And at least they put their hand up on Friday night. As much as it hurt Fremantle. I thought they showed more of more of the old Melbourne on Friday. Night. Yeah, me too. I went into that game thinking the loser doesn't contend, and I came out of that game thinking Fremantle doesn't contend. By the way, Viney again. Uh, in in games where it matters, even games where it doesn't matter, but particularly games where it matters, he just plants the flag in the ground and says, "Follow me, boys." Yep, doesn't he? Yep. No, he's a great player. Um, we often wonder why teams don't tag, 
And maybe we got an answer to that on the weekend. James Ace won his battle with Clayton Oliver. I thought he was as good as David Mundy was with the 36 disposals. I thought James Ace was clearly the best player. I think Oliver's right, though. But um, to me, the collective, it affected the collective output. So Fremantle had a lot of midfielders with good stats, but their midfield got clobbered. And so sometimes having the tag, it upsets the collective. And um, so in the first time they played Melbourne, we saw why you can have a tag. And this time, I reckon we saw why clubs often don't. He doesn't look right, Oliver, with that hand. Yeah. He just doesn't like... I mean, you can see his marking attempts, his handball. He's very sore there. But he's a great player. He'll play through pain, no problem at all. And they found a way to play like the old Melbourne with lesser input from Oliver. So I think the signs are really good for them. So what did you make of the Carlton loss to Adelaide? Well, it was the worst loss of any team this year. The worst loss of any team this year? Yeah, given where they're sitting on the ladder, this could put them out of the eight, which is a disaster for them for where they were. It probably doesn't, does it? It Well, I haven't got their draw in front of me. That's a tough draw. So Brisbane at the Gabba this week. I think they've got Melbourne, and I think they've got... I think they've got three very good teams on the way. Okay, so they beat Adelaide last week. They're sitting on 52 points. They're, they're just about a lock, right? Yep. I reckon they're vulnerable right now. No, they are a lock. You're, you're a lock at... Okay. Well, it, well if, if you're not a lock at 52, then Fremantle's not a lock at 50. Well, they're probably not. But I think Fremantle's draw yeah. is better. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I mean, the dogs, I, think, I still think they're the best side out of it. Um, I don't think... St Kilda, they're better than St Kilda. So what did you, okay? So if the dogs are the best side out of it, they kick four goals to nothing at the start of that game the other night at GMHBA Stadium, and then they get beaten by five goals. Yeah, look, it wasn't great. It was it was at Geelong's home ground, but I think the fact that they got four, they they actually stunned Geelong early shows why they are the best side out of it. Even though they were able, they didn't win the game, and Geelong was overwhelming after. But they do that to a lot of teams, Geelong at the moment. So mm. I like I like the dogs and where they're going. They can't win the flag from where they are, but I think they play a part. Okay, I'm not I'm not prepared to get off the dogs just yet. Let's get on to the Mark McVeigh. Oh, the McVeigh eight. The McVeigh eight. So I'll name them, Duff. I'll name them. Sam Taylor, Harry Perryman, Josh Kelly, Callan Ward, uh, Adam Kennedy, Lockie Whitfield, Jesse Hogan, and Toby Green. According to McVeigh, they are the eight who went to the wall for me. The other 14, they've checked out. So of the 14 who checked out, you're talking about the likes of um, Tanner Brune, Taranto, um, Hopper, uh, Cornelio Haynes. Now, there's a lot of speculation about the million-dollar players or players on thereabouts the million-dollar mark. So Cornelio's one, Taranto's another, Hopper's one. Um, well, Hopper no, no Hopper's not one, but um, who, Whitfield's one, but they're, they're not getting rid of Whitfield. But I think I think Hopper has been connected with Geelong. I think Taranto wants out, wants to play more as an inside mid. Taranto's either Richmond or Collingwood, yeah. isn't he? Haynes has a year left, but I think they're prepared to, and I think they're prepared to, I think they've got a bit of salary cap pressure coming up. Just interesting comments the last few weeks with McVeigh. A couple of weeks ago, we had the debate about whether he should um, really hurt them on the training track in the last month of the season. Now he has them checking out. They are pathetic at the moment, the Giants. Their lack of run, a lack of want to run to the hot spots. They're just 
performing what I would call perfunctory roles in football. They're, they're doing the soft stuff. Look, I'm standing here, I'm standing here, but they're not prepared to gut run at all. It's pathetic. And yeah. it's a wake-up time for the Giants. And whoever coaches them next year, um, I think it's it's going to be a um, a real pivotal moment in the club's history. Okay, for the good of football, for the good of football, and let's say Alistair Clarkson gets a coaching job next year, do you want him at North Melbourne? Traditional club, clearly in dire straits, um, have always been a financially marginal club, so therefore if they have too many more bad years, financially marginal could become, you know, in danger. Mm-hmm. GWS, funded by the AFL, the AFL will not quit on them, but they're in a football growth area. Um, really, we need GWS to have their act together. So who are you wanting Alistair Clark? I want him to coach the Giants. And it's not for the good of football, sorry. It's for intrigue. I want to see where he can take this group because I think there's more in them. Cameron Leon Cameron did a, I think a pretty good job with the Giants, cool. but they're all but they but well they made a grand final a couple of prelims. Yeah, but. no, look, I I I agree. Like it's hard to be too critical of Leon Cameron, but when we were critical of them when they were played badly, we looked at it and we say, what are they trying to do? Yeah, it's hard to know what their game style is. So I think we need to find a few things about the Giants, and one of the off-season things is how hard are you prepared to work? Because clearly, Duff, it's not hard enough because of what they're producing in games. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you look at the teams that are up the pointy end consistently or are up the pointy end like Melbourne was last year and just really dominating, they've put in a hell of a lot of body of work. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's there for the Giants. Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting period coming up, which is why I'd like to see someone like a Clarkson get hold of them and read the Riot Act, and he will do that. I remember his first – I wandered down to Glen Ferry Oval for his very first session with Hawthorne because I was intrigued about this bloke. I was totally unsure about what they'd done. And there was a Hawthorne ruckman by the name of Robert Campbell who was stretching on a fence, and he had his Hawthorne cap on, and he threw it on the ground, and Clarkson walked up to him and just gave it to him. And I remember thinking, like, gee whiz, this is a bit of an overreaction. But he was, do not disrespect the uniform. When you're on a footy field, you do not disrespect. Pick the hat up and put it on or put it in your locker and give it a clean. And I thought, whoa, haven't seen this before. So it was a message he was sending through that was, when you're on the field or at work – you do not disrespect the club. You do everything you can. So it's really interesting time ahead, I think. Um, I, I know what you're saying about North. I think there's good coaches out there who could coach North, though. Yep. I'm not sure if Clarkson's the be-all and end-all for North Melbourne. Okay. You I, do. I know you do. No, well, look, I, if, I think the moral answer to this is that um, Clarkson should co- coach North Melbourne because... He comes from there. They are a traditional club. Mm. They are a club that I think is in grave danger. Um, and I think if you're going to try and ease that danger in the short term at least, you get the best coach you can in there and you get him to go about his work. But the pragmatic um, growth industry side of me says the AFL should want Clarko at GWS mm. and I they should want him it. to organise that group, get the club in order... Get the club to respect itself more than it does currently, and um, and take them take them to a position where they are a better reflection of their talent. Mm. I think. Yeah, that's a very uh, very good point, Duff. I'm excited. Do you know why? Why? It's time for this. 
saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Thank you to Thirsty Camel. Thank you again to Jack Daniels Old Number 7 Whiskey and Cola. We're giving away a 10-pack of Whiskey and Cola cans. Fantastic drop, Duff. Got a heap of mail this week. Please keep them short. Let us know if you're from WA. Otherwise, you won't be able to win a 10-pack. Um, and uh, another very good example here, this one, Doug, says, Hi, fellas. When is Hayden Young going to get a crack at being a forward for the Dockers? Can take a hanger, dead-eye kick. Anything's better than the inconsistent forward line we are getting at the moment. It's the last place I'd put him, actually. I'd, I'd play him if where he is right now because he's had a good year, or I'd play him in the midfield, but um, not forward. So Fremantle's one would is when <clears throat> they don't always go quickly from the back, and, and this is where stats are misleading. So the analysts look at the stats and they go, oh, Fremantle likes to possess the ball from the back. When they score, it's because they change gears quickly and they can get the ball in there quickly. That is all about Hayden Young, uh, Heath Chapman, and Jordan Clark, and to a lesser degree Brandon Walker. When Brandon Walker gets grass in front of him, they can take the game on. They know that they're not going to be run down from behind. Well, Hayden Young might be, but Hayden Young's got such a great left. Oh, he's just a beautiful kick. Yeah. All he needs is time and space to line up the target and hit the target. What they're not doing, and this is why I said earlier on the podcast, they've got to have a swing. They're not doing it at the moment. And you know the worst defender. As well as he defends, too many times Luke Ryan gets the ball and then takes 20 seconds to do nothing with it. If Luke's going to go safe and short, go safe and short quickly. Pick one that you can hit, go there quickly, give that bloke a chance to play on. And all they've got to do is get to the back end of the square, get one overlap handball, get the ball in the hands of either Walker, Young, Chapman um, or Clark, one of these guys that run and carry and kick the ball long and well. And then Fremantle will get the ball inside attacking 50 quicker and their forward line will look more dangerous. That's a good point. There was a stat at the weekend about Redmond at Essendon um, hitting 99.9% of his targets at the weekend. I reckon there was a game earlier in the year Luke Ryan hit 100%. So when he gets the ball and moves it quickly, he can hit his targets. Yeah, but he's hitting 100% because he's going as safe as houses. No, but what I'm saying is finding finding them directly down the line. They need Luke. Luke is a senior defender now. They need Luke to be more daring and show the way. And that means you, know, you don't have to send the ball through the wound-down window of a passing car. Just turn and roll, go quickly, pick a target you can hit and hit it. And he's a good enough kick to do that. And if he shows the dare and willingness to do that, I reckon the younger defenders will follow his lead and I reckon Fremantle will look like a different team. Well, now this weekend's the weekend to do it against the Western Bulldogs. Um, Russell from Hammond Park writes, absolutely agree with quarters on the Wharfies pulling out the rock and anchor. It was the best thing ever. Of course, that was the Wolfie man we were talking about last week. I think we week. had enough retro on the weekend. We oh, had a retro performance Bring to go with the back retro the jump. rock. Bring it back, please. Uh, Chris from Rossmoyne. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Love your podcast. It's the first one I listen to every Tuesday and Thursday. I've noticed recently that you sometimes mention PSA football and which private schools AFL players went to, but you never mention public schools. This seems to be a common theme in other podcasts as well. And then there was the infamous Adam Simpson only draft from private schools comment. (laughs) He won't live that one down, will he? Personally, I don't get the whole fascination with private schools and I don't see how it is relevant to playing AFL. But if you feel the need to link AFL players to the high school they attended, then why don't you mention our fantastic public schools as well? Luke Jackson, Willerton Senior High School. Hayden Young, Mornington Secondary College. Brennan Cox, Adelaide High School. 
When I was year 12 at Rossmoyne Senior High, I had the frightening experience of playing against Glenn Jakovic from Hamilton Hill Senior High School. That would have been frightening, actually. Let's keep elitism out of footy. It is a game for everyone. We don't want to be like Rugby Union. Keep up the great work with your podcast. That's a good email. Fact is, though, a lot of scholarships go to private schools. A lot of kids go to... They do. This is the trend in our education system, and it's sad. I went to Narragin Senior High School, which is obviously a public school. Uh, My brothers went before me. Um, we played in football teams over, I reckon, four successive years at Narragin, and we played a lot of PSA schools um, in the warm-up to going to the country schools championship, which we used to call Country Week, the uh, Country Week schools championships. Um, We were never beaten by one of those PSA schools, and we used to take some delight in beating them, and not just beating them, but adding a fair bit of GST to the physical cali- physicality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because a lot of the the kids at the Narragin team were playing senior footy in the country, so they're playing against men, and we viewed that as a as a physical advantage, and we we also thought, you know, private school boys. I mean, really, it's sad. I think that our education system has basically made parents think that their kid will get an inferior education if he goes to a public school. I certainly that's certainly not my experience having been to Narragin and I think that um, you know often schools are like football teams if you have bright students they will give your school good marks and the teachers will be incentivized to teach them well and if you have all the bright students going somewhere else because they get scholarships, then that changes the narrative. I don't think they have to be bright to get scholarships sometimes, Duff. I think if you can play football But you know what I mean. Yeah, I do know what you mean. The best and brightest at everything. If they get get siphoned out and into the private school system, it's not good for our society. So I love that email. I know there's a lot of... of, uh, Look, my kids do go to Trinity College, and I actually have enjoyed the experience. I think it's been a great school. Uh, It's interesting after... After going through from this, the high school football teams and you get to years 11 and 12, Duff, and all of a sudden the teams you've been beating are just about unbeatable and there's a whole different set of faces in them. That's what happens every year. Yeah, correct. Because Trinity doesn't give out the scholarships, but the others do. No, that's absolutely true. And um, certainly we see, um, you know, I live where I live. The Scotch College is nearby and mm-hmm. Christchurch is nearby. And um there's some serious money floating around oh, in the air, Glenn. There, there, there certainly is, mate. I'll tell you what, my high school uh, boxed way out of its weight division. Norwood Secondary College in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, at, way out there near the foot of the Dandenongs, often saw snow on the top of the Dandenongs during winter. It's quite cold out there. Uh, Paul Salmon, Gary O'Donnell, um, Dean Bailey, uh, Peter Banfield, so there's five, six, seven hundred games of AFL, the VFL, AFL there. Um, and uh, I can tell you our high school was pretty good at playing footy. So in year 11, when I was playing at Narragin, we played Country Week against Northam. Northam had um, Oral Maguire, who was, I don't know whether he played senior footy for Perth at that stage, but he was about to. Lindsay Carter, who at that stage was playing senior footy for Perth, I had to play in the centre on Lindsay Carter as a year 11. That was no fun, Glenn. That was no fun whatsoever. Ian Newman, who went on to play senior footy for, I think he played both at Perth, maybe in East Romandle. Um, And there was one other whose name is, might have been Warren Marshall, who I think was, don't know whether he ever went on to play seniors for Perth, but he was certainly um, uh, in the mix and, and in Perth's, on Perth talent development pathway at that point. That game, that was a hard game. That was a really hard game. 
game. We didn't win. We competed reasonably strongly, but when they got rolling, jeepers, it was like trudging uphill, I tell you. I'll give you one last name. Tom Boyd was a Norwood Secondary College student. Tommy Boyd. Didn't end up there in year 11 and 12, though. Where'd he go? He's not on record. I think I'm not – was a Scotch or a – yeah. So okay. didn't end up at Norwood. Uh, this one from Chris, the big show. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Big show from Sydney here, loving the podcast. I've really liked the rounds this year that featured Thursday night footy. Any idea why Thursday night games aren't a fixture for every round of the year? Cheers, big show. Big show, here, here. I love Thursday night footy. Thursday I love no- Monday night footy. I like stretching it. So Thursday night footy is great for TV. It's not great for spectators. And I think the AFL's still weighing it up in their mind as to how that balances out. And and also probably not so much as to whether there will be or won't be, it's where it will be and what they can get out of it so that it's a win for everybody. You don't really want 15,000 people at uh, Marvel Stadium when you're playing Thursday night footy, but maybe if you got 20,000 people at an early season game in Hobart before the weather got too brisk, that might be a big win, and that might be a big win for TV. Could as be well. a market they look at actually, because um, interesting development in Hobart too. With the they're now saying they can build the stadium for under five hundred mil. Well, of course they can. It's a single tier stadium. They were looking. I think they were looking at a Wow location, and it was on the waterfront, which means you've got a. So this new this is not going to be at the Wow location. I, my understanding is there are two sites. Okay, where's the second site? So the under five hundred mil is not at this waterfront. Well, well so. I'm I'm thinking that. So we had a. I was on a radio show on the weekend. We actually had an engineer ring in, and he said the reason why this has become a discussion point is because the site they were talking about is the Wow site, which was like the Burswood Peninsula site where Optus Stadium is now, and. Basically, because that side, Optus Stadium, is reclaimed river, they've had to drive the pylons all the way to bedrock. Yeah, I know they did. I heard it for four years. I live nearby. To make sure that um, <laughs> it's loud. To make sure the stadium is stable. Yeah. Um, I think that costs a lot of money. Like that probably costs a hundred to one hundred and fifty million dollars extra just to do that. Mm. So if they put it on another site which is more landlocked and the ground is more stadium uh, stable and they're able to build the stadium without that stuff, then they can reduce the cost. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Love the podcast and always hang out for the next episode. Keep up the great work. Does Sean Darcy suffer from the Aaron Sandlands curse? It felt like Sandy rarely got free kicks because even when he was pushed or held in a ruck contest, his size and strength allowed him to absorb the contact. He also gave away plenty because even a minor indiscretion looks bad when you are that big and strong. Twice in quick succession on Friday night, Darcy got under the footy in a ruck contest and took position 1A. Gorn tried to jump over him and instead went head over Biscuit. Then a blocking free kick was called against Darcy. Feels like this happens regularly and Darcy gives up a lot of decisive free kicks. Is this poor ruck technique or is he hard done by? Kieran from Canberra. Good email. You're not allowed to cross the line. And Darcy went across the line a couple of times, got called for blocking. He actually got away with one too, which where I thought he'd cross the line, didn't get paid. I think Sean Darcy's still playing okay. I think where Sean Darcy isn't playing as well as he was last year, he's not marking the ball as much around the ground, not going forward as much and kicking goals. So, um, I There's get, still time, Duff. There's still time. Yeah, well, there's only a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Fremantle needs to show something, and they need to show something quickly. Still on the Sean Darcy subject, hey, Duff and Quarters, this is from Dan from Bunbury. On Fremantle, from earlier in the season, the players stood up for each other to no end and celebrated every little thing. One of my biggest takeaways against Melbourne was when Sean Darcy airbrushed Petraka's back and had multiple players for the next 45 seconds remonstrating with him. Not one player came over to support him until Mundy spoke to him just before the bounce. 
I really didn't like seeing him almost a lone figure in this moment. Is this a sign of a tiring team with no energy to fight or something else? The only thing I'll say on that, Duff, is... Uh, yeah, whacking a Blake in the back when he's not looking. I wasn't I wasn't that keen on that moment. Maybe they were sending him a bit of a message. Well, the other thing, it was mainly Petrarca remonstrating with him, and if, if Darcy wanted to take issue with it, he could have just grabbed the smaller player, chucked him on the ground, and throttled him. Yeah. You know, so I think Darcy did it. It's probably out of annoyance. Yeah. Wasn't a hell of a lot in it. No, there Petrar- wasn't. Petrarca didn't like it. Petrarca let Darcy know he didn't like it. That was probably all it needed to be. When other players started to get involved, Mundy got involved and made sure it didn't get out of hand. I I just didn't read that into it. I, had Sean Darcy gone forward and caught three and kicked three goals and kept Freo in the game and let him take a run at Melbourne after half time, we wouldn't be talking about it. He didn't. They didn't. And therefore, we are talking about it. Sean from Averley. We're going up there to play junior footy this weekend. Uh, Sean from Averley writes, will, South Geraldton. Will, will Josh Kennedy be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Uh, well, there's every reason he should be when he's, what is it, five years after retirement? Yeah, Josh Kennedy will be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he'll be in the Hall of Fame, but will he be a first ballot? So as soon as his five years is up, you'd have to have a look at the other players who are eligible at that time, but I can't see any reason why not. Josh Kennedy will be in the Hall of Fame, mm. and I'm not one of those people that gets my knickers in a twist about when you're injured. Do you wear knickers? Yeah. My jocks in a okay. knot. My jocks in a knot. Boxer shorts, actually, at the moment. Okay. Um, Too much info, thank you. <laughs> Your boys need a bit of room, do they? they my, boy, my boys my boys, are out there and my, they're loving it. My boys don't field. need a house. They don't need a house. <laughs> Andrew writes from Looming, with three rounds left in the regular season, are the Dockers in danger of being known as Fail Mantle? You know what? I hate. I hated the Flag Mantle. Me I too. hated that title. Me too. Never liked it. I didn't. I've never used it. And no, they're not. There's every opportunity to win three from three, and then have an impact in finals. You can beat the Dogs this week. You can beat the Eagles in your home derby, and you can certainly beat the Giants in Canberra, who've got nothing to play for and are showing no willingness to compete over four quarters. So I think they can finish the, the year on a high. No reason why not. But you're quite right, Duff. Probably need to show a bit this week. This one from Dean in Northam. I observed with concern at the halftime resumption on Friday night. Fremantle were concentrating on a kick-mark run-through warm-up, while Melbourne were carrying out ground ball pick-up and quick disposals. The conditions were slippery and weren't going to improve, so I thought it was a clear mistake not to practice what was about to confront the team in the second half. I didn't notice that, but um, that's an interesting point. I'll tell you what I noticed. I noticed they were in trouble way before half-time. Okay. So they were probably trying to walk before they could... uh, Walk before they ran, I think, and, and, and get some things right because they didn't get much right before halftime. Uh, Ryan writes, absolutely love the podcast. You and the listener who emailed in last week are dead right. West Coast dropping off when it all gets too hard. Too often since our last flag, our work rate drops off dramatically. Too many players have no impact and don't have another gear to go to when the intensity lifts. The lack of quality picks in the past few years leading up to last year is so evident. The likes of O'Neill, Foley, Jamison and Winder just aren't going to make it at the top level. Ryan from Leaderville. So he'll probably be right in a couple of those cases and he might be wrong in a couple of those cases. So just give those players a little bit of time and and let's see how they develop. Not all of them will survive. I think what's going to happen, Quarters, I think a lot of West Coast 
quality older players are going to stay around. It looks like Shannon Hearn will at least get to talk about staying around. And Russell Gibbs, the chairman, thinks he's going to be around. So therefore, if there's a clean out, it's probably going to come mainly at the lower end of younger players that they don't think are going to make it. That's going to be brutal. But having said that, they need to do that. Um, you know, you can't persist with players you don't honestly think are going to get there. But I would say a couple of those names mentioned, I think, are at least worth another year. Just an interesting observation and a question worth asking. Now, I know Shannon Hearns had been in terrific form and had a pretty good year. Monday retires. Hearn doesn't. Does that show you where the lists are at? Do you need Hearn there because you can't lose all of your experience at once? Monday's turning 37 and Hearn's turning 35. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're still having this discussion in 12 months' time, let's have that discussion. But I think right now, um, I think the problem for West Coast is that the quality is at the older end of their list. But that's also an aid for them, a teaching aid for the younger players. If they can draft in high-quality younger players and have good older players around to teach them, that could work in their favour. I, what I worry about West Coast, you know, is I think West Coast can spike a bit next year and I think they can win 9, 10, maybe even 11 games. But I worry about the year after. Like, I, I worry about West Coast having a sort of a false dawn next year and then falling in a screaming heap the following year when Shuey's turning 34 and when Nat Nui's turning 34, when McGovern's turning 32. If all these guys are still around, at some point they've got to go. And if you don't have the young players ready to really step in, then you can really end up in a bad spot. From Jared from Port Kennedy writes, G'day gents, after the Friday night drubbing at the hands of Melbourne, there looks to be a few issues forming in Frio's footy system. None more concerning than our misfiring forward line. It is clear that we are missing Switkowski very much. However, I can't name too many more putting their hand up for selection. What has happened to Sam Sturt? Looked like he was closing in on a senior call-up until JL stated that he needed to work on a few things. He seems to have dropped off right off in form since. Is it a case of him dropping the lip or is he just not up to standard? Also, I know what Neil Erasmus has done to not have had many more opportunities. Surely it could be more beneficial playing him over the likes of Collier. Um, I did note that Sturt kicked four at the weekend. Didn't Sturt- lay a tackle, which is... What? So so what they've basically said, their forward line trades very heavily on the pressure. Um, I think Travis Collier is in trouble. I, I think that... You know, had because to, of Liam Henry? Had, well, partly because of Henry, but also there's there's others gathering behind. I mean, Henry and Collier both played on the weekend. I suspect Collier was probably a little bit lucky to play in front of Bailey Banfield, and Bailey Banfield was probably a little bit unlucky not to play. Yeah, a bit stiff, Bailey Banfield. So what Collier has is speed, and they've traded very heavily on speed. They regard it as a point of difference. So therefore, that has lent itself towards Travis Collier getting further opportunities. I think you have to get to a point, if you're going to be a contender, where you have to get past Travis Collier. Um, Sturt would be looked at this year, uh, this week, I reckon, um, because Sturt is a finisher and he kicks goals. Banfield kicks goals. Yeah. But I think he's been a really... I, I did not rate Banfield in a, at the elite level. I thought he was a, he'd done very well to get as far as he do, had. I think he's had a, he's been impressive no, to me absolutely. this year, and yeah. he played sort of a centre half forward role for a couple of weeks and did it really well. So he does. That's Bailey's very tough and very honourable mm. as a footballer. But don't you need one of those? Yeah, uh, what the email does rightly point out, Sam Swickowski is now their best small forward. Yeah, and by a margin. 
as well. I think Lockie Schultz has been a little bit disappointing, but I do get back to that chicken and egg thing where if they get the ball in there quickly yep. and get a contest out of their tools and and these guys can go to work at ground level before the defence can get set, it looks like a different attack yeah, to what Every it looks like team looks moment. better with repeat opportunities, don't they? Yeah. Always. Last one from Ryan in Bicton. Uh, it's a good one. A little bit of length to it, so just bear with me. G'day, quarters. G'day, Duff. G'day, Ryan. After the Dockers' original plan to play Griffin Logue on Stephen May was quelled by a concussion the first time around, I was eager to watch Griffin closely last Friday night. After the match, I made two clear conclusions. One, Griffin displays consistent effort and presence in the Fremantle forward line. Two, Griffin shows glaring mental fragility when it comes to say, taking a shot at goal. <laughs> Against the Demons, Griff had... These are fi- two fairly clear observations. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> had five relatively simple goal-storing opportunities. Twice in the first half, he had set shots from 45 out, but instead elected to chip a 15-metre pass to teammates both missed. He kicked one goal from five metres out on a slight angle, almost unmissable. Not for some. Uh, one time he was run-, run down after having an eternity to take the shot. Because yes, he, he didn't w- want to take the shot. He was, <laughs> if you watch Griff Griffin's eyes before he gets run he's down. He's looking where to go. He's looking everywhere except the goals. And once he failed to score from a set shot 20 metres out on a slight angle, snapping the ball into the man on the mark. As a fan who was fed up with seeing the Dockers squander scoring opportunities, surely it is unacceptable for a player of Griffin Lowe's ill to convert five goal scoring opportunities into one goal too. On his podcast, he brushes it off as though he just prefers to give goal assists. But he's, the sheer reality is that he doesn't have the confidence to take the shot. Can this be coached out of him, or does it all just come down to Griff facing his mental demons alone? He hasn't spent a lot of time forward, has he? No, we, he was trained as a defender yeah. all summer and has been shifted So forward. we're probably a bit harsh, but then again, I mean, he wrote this a really good email. Everything he says is right, and the questions he asks are valid, but Fremantle, if Fremantle decides Griffin Lowe is going to be a forward, well, first they have to do is get him signed, because as yet he's not. But if they decide he's going to be a forward, then they have to train him as a forward and they have to iron those kinks out in his game. Um, I love what he brings to their attack. I'd be mad keen to get Griffin Logue's signature on a piece of paper for the next three to four years, and I'd be mad keen to settle him in one position. And I think that position, if I was choosing, and it would be, it's marginal. Um, because, no, you have to choose. Okay, I'd say attack. I want Griffin Logue trained as a forward over summer, trained to brush up on his finishing and his goal kicking and his, his kicking technique. He's got, a, he's got a slightly bodgy kicking technique, Griffin. Um, and I want his effort, his recovery, his hunt on the ground, his competitiveness in the air. The other thing I'd say that happened on the weekend, I think Melbourne were really good at this, Michael Hibbard played... So Griffin Logue was playing trying to disrupt Stephen May. Michael Hibbard played to try and disrupt Griffin Logue from disrupting Stephen May. Hmm. It was a clever tactic. And a lot of times Hibbard was effectively grounding Logue away from the contest he was trying to get into with May. Very clever coaching by Simon Goodwin. Paid a big dividend. Um, But the flip side of that is that when Griffin Logue didn't get there, Rory Lobb and Matt Taberner didn't do enough. Hmm. Thanks for all your mail. Please send them to this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. Yes, and get your laughing gear around some Jack Daniels old number seven. Have you done it yet, Quarters? I haven't yet. I've had a couple of sips. Pretty mm. tasty, I have to say. I've tasted it in the past. I just haven't had a sip the last month or so when we said we were going to have a couple. But I'll get there. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to try a sophisticated version of it 
Gotcha. You and I just have to get together and have a couple of those. Gonna have to. I'm going to try it with a bit of ice and some lemon in it, and sort of like a, a very yuppie sort of version. Yeah, that it. sounds nice. Yeah, that's not yuppie. A bit of lemon and ice. It's yeah. all right. Yeah, I reckon that'll go all right. Yeah, it will. Bit of orange too. A bit of orange. I might try that. The as great well. late Shane Warne in an interview told me the game changer, the ball of the century equivalent when it comes to alcohol, is orange in a gin and tonic instead of lemon. Right. Try that. This is coming from a bloke whose favourite meal was baked beans. No, his was, yes, yes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with baked beans. Still the cheapest, best meal available. No, I know, but that's it was his favourite It was. Meal. Well, it was in India. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'll just – if I want to learn about leg spin, I would have rung Warnie. If I want to learn about diet – No, you're not going to ring Warnie. Warnie's no. not your boy. No. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today. We've been brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch – can better their bet. Download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you run into any difficulties. Quarters. We'll be back on Thursday. Hopefully there's no more retirements. We've lost a couple of true greats of the game over in Western Australia over the last couple of days. Hopefully they have strong finishes over the next week or few. Uh, This week in Josh Kennedy's case and the next few weeks in David Mundy's case. We'll be back on Thursday to run the ruler over another round. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable. 